Preface of Behind the Scenes This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Behind the Scenes by Elizabeth Keckley Preface I have often been asked to write my life, as those who know me know that it has been an eventful one. At last I have acceded to the importunities of my friends, and have hastily sketched some of the striking incidents that go to make up my history. My life, so full of romance, may sound like a dream to the matter-of-fact reader. Nevertheless, everything I have written is strictly true. Much has been omitted, but nothing has been exaggerated. In writing as I have done, I am well aware that I have invited criticism. But before the critic judges harshly, let my explanation be carefully read and weighed. If I have portrayed the dark side of slavery, I also have painted the bright side. The good that I have said of human servitude should be thrown into the scales with the evil that I have said of it. I have kind and true-hearted friends in the South as well as in the North, and I would not wound those Southern friends by sweeping condemnation simply because I was once a slave. They were not so much responsible for the curse under which I was born, as the God of nature and the fathers who framed the Constitution for the United States. The law descended to them, and it was but natural that they should recognize it, since it manifestly was their interest to do so. And yet a wrong was inflicted upon me. A cruel custom deprived me of my liberty, and since I was robbed of my dearest right, I would not have been human had I not rebelled against the robbery. God rules the universe. I was a feeble instrument in his hands, and through me and the enslaved millions of my race, one of the problems was solved that belongs to the great problem of human destiny, and the solution was developed so gradually that there was no great convulsion of the harmonies of natural laws. A solemn truth was thrown to the surface, and what is better still, it was recognized as a truth by those who give force to moral laws. An act may be wrong, but unless the ruling power recognizes the wrong, it is useless to hope for a correction of it. Principles may be right, but they are not established within an hour. The masses are slow to reason, and each principle to acquire moral force must come to us from the fire of the crucible. The fire may inflict unjust punishment, but then it purifies and renders stronger the principle, not in itself, but in the eyes of those who arrogate judgment to themselves. When the War of the Revolution established the independence of the American colonies, an evil was perpetuated. Slavery was more firmly established. And since the evil had been planted, it must pass through certain stages before it could be eradicated. In fact, we give but little thought to the plant of evil until it grows to such monstrous proportions that it overshadows important interests. Then the efforts to destroy it become earnest. As one of the victims of slavery, I drank of the bitter water. But then, since destiny willed it so, and since I aided in bringing a solemn truth to the surface as a truth, perhaps I have no right to complain. Here, as in all things pertaining to life, I can afford to be charitable. It may be charged that I have written too freely on some questions, 
especially in regard to Mrs. Lincoln. I do not think so. At least I have been prompted by the purest motive. Mrs. Lincoln, by her own acts, forced herself into notoriety. She stepped beyond the formal lines which hedge about a private life, and invited public criticism. The people have judged her harshly, and no woman was ever more traduced in the public prints of the country. The people knew nothing of the secret history of her transactions, therefore they judged her by what was thrown to the surface. For an act may be wrong judged purely by itself. But when the motive that prompted the act is understood, it is construed differently. I lay it down as an axiom, that only that is criminal in the sight of God where crime is meditated. Mrs. Lincoln may have been imprudent, but since her intentions were good, she should be judged more kindly than she has been. But the world do not know what her intentions were. They have only been made acquainted with her acts, without knowing what feeling guided her actions. If the world are to judge her as I have judged her, they must be introduced to the secret history of her transactions. The veil of mystery must be drawn aside. The origin of a fact must be brought to light with the naked fact itself. If I have betrayed confidence in anything I have published, it has been to place Mrs. Lincoln in a better light before the world. A breach of trust, if breach it can be called, of this kind is always excusable. My own character, as well as the character of Mrs. Lincoln, is at stake, since I have been intimately associated with that lady in the most eventful periods of her life. I have been her confidant, and if evil charges are laid at her door, they also must be laid at mine, since I have been a party to all her movements. To defend myself, I must defend the lady that I have served. The world have judged Mrs. Lincoln by the facts which float upon the surface, and through her have partially judged me, and the only way to convince them that wrong was not meditated is to explain the motives that actuated us. I have written nothing that can place Mrs. Lincoln in a worse light before the world than the light in which she now stands. Therefore the secret history that I publish can do her no harm. I have excluded everything of a personal character from her letters. The extracts introduced only refer to public men, and are such as to throw light upon her unfortunate adventure in New York. These letters were not written for publication, for which reason they are all the more valuable. They are the frank overflowings of the heart, the outcropping of impulse, the key to genuine motives. They prove the motive to have been pure and if they help to stifle the voice of calumny, I am content. I do not forget, before the public journals vilified Mrs. Lincoln, that ladies who moved in the Washington circle in which she moved freely canvassed her character among themselves. They gloated over many a tale of scandal that grew out of gossip in their own circle. If these ladies could say everything bad of the wife of the President, why should I not be permitted to lay her secret history bare? especially when that history plainly shows that her life, like all lives, has its good side as well as its bad side. None of us are perfect, for which reason we should heed the voice of charity when it whispers in our ears. Do not magnify the imperfections of others. 
had mrs lincoln's acts never become public property i should not have published to the world the secret chapters of her life i am not the special champion of the widow of our lamented president the reader of the pages which follow will discover that i have written with the utmost frankness in regard to her have exposed her faults as well as given her credit for honest motives i wish the world to judge her as she is free from the exaggerations of praise or scandal since i have been associated with her in so many things that have provoked hostile criticism and the judgment that the world may pass upon her i flatter myself will present my own actions in a better light elizabeth keckley fourteen carroll place new york march fourteenth eighteen sixty eight end of the preface